Hey guys, welcome to the Elite Coaching Podcast, episode 10. In this podcast, we are, well, we've got some pretty big news for us. We're going to introduce the new senior coach coming on to the Eddie Lee coaching team, and we're going to run through some hip thrust mechanics. So as you guys know, we are expanding the team at the moment, and we're trying to grow the team uh, with some some really, really good and experienced coaches that are going to offer a lot um, inside the team. So uh, as a lot of you know, Dermot has played a massive role within the business already this year and um, from an educational standpoint on the on the podcasts and with the, the, the camps that we've done, the practical camp and then the, the webinar, he played a, a huge role and it seemed like a extremely good fit to, to bring him on. So firstly, we're going to just introduce... The man himself, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, how are you, bud? I'm great. I'm great. I'm good. Welcome, have a, have a welcome, to, the, welcome to the team. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, uh, I think for a lot of people, it, it's going to be a, a case of, oh, we saw that, potentially saw that coming. Um, yeah. But, you know, we have some some really big plans for next year inside the business and, and, and Dermot's level of experience around training people and now becoming a very senior role looking after a lot of the um, photo shoot prep clients that we have coming up next year and a couple of big things that we have planned inside the business. It's going to be a very, very exciting um, role. And I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely delighted to have you on board, buddy. It's going to be a, it's going to be a great one. So thank you very much for, for coming on. Cheers, man. No, I appreciate it. I really do. Really looking forward to it. <laughs> I, I don't think we even need to do it. Tell us a bit about yourself now because we've done so many tears and the majority of clients know who you are anyway. So we'll just basically jump into what we're going to talk about today. So as Dermot is, you know, coming on board as a senior coach, we're going to talk about something that, you know, he is extremely knowledgeable on and that is the more mechanics end of things. And we're going to talk about the, the hip trust. So Dermot, just give us a, a bit of a background on why you think it's important for this podcast to go out. Okay, so I suppose so. My bias towards kind of like understanding the exercise mechanics, like it really, the more I get to understand these things, the more important it is. the The more I dig in, the more I learn, the more I realize that these things are just so necessary, um, for us to have a really good understanding. Like if we are going to be true exercise professionals and prescribe ex- prescribe movements to clients we need to we need to understand um we, we need to understand things around exercise mechanics whether it be a, a tug of war of, of torques or just kind of like even little simpler things like anatomical variation and how they potentially influence influence the challenge that we are placing upon a client if for example we, we don't we don't understand these things we don't we don't know if we are are we training this client towards injury or adaptation um, how, how can we decide what what challenge is directly appropriate for this client right now this not not only like this block of training but this week like there's going to be certain times when we need to be able to have such an in-depth knowledge that we can we can taper we can change things we can change things weekly if needs be um, but not, not, not only that, it's, it's basically how can I provide a challenge to a client that is exactly what they need or close to exactly what they need and not just here's a challenge. I hope you meet it. I hope your body meets it. Meets it. I hope your body doesn't collapse. Um, I, I, I hope as opposed to being able to 
have an understanding of these things and and then have just a bit more rationale and a bit, bit more kind of a thought process behind it. But, so that was why I went down the rabbit hole of uh, biomechanics or exercise mechanics and I'm yet to come out the other end. I'm still consistently overwhelmed by the entire process but that that's that's okay that's learning <laughs> and, and that is something that you're going to massively bring to to all of us you know we had just had a conversation off air and we we're talking about you know basically like the, the, the education that Dermot's going through at the moment and Dermot basically said you know in in our education camps coming up that Dermot's role is going to be to take that extremely complex topic which is mechanics and put it into very simple and easy to apply information for everyone i think starting off with a, a conversation around the movement pattern that is done by 100 of, of females and males but we all need to know a little bit deeper about why in essence we have to do a b and c and um, but i think first we'll talk about a, a discussion that was quite um quite present last year in, inside the fitness industry and that was a barbell back squat versus a hip thrust um for more glute and bunny ears quote-unquote activation but dermot please just de- debunk this myth for us all okay um so i suppose in the industry it, it, it it's so nice for you to have a confirmation bias of what you want to be proven right, whether you want the squat to outperform the hip thrust or vice versa. So it's just such a such a childish clickbaity debate. Should we should we barbell back squat or should we hip thrust? And it's like, who the fuck only programs one of them? <laughs> like I'm not going to all my all my glue volume is just going to come from hip thrust because it's a good movement, just like all my squat volume is going to come from um or all my glue volume is going to come from squats because it's a good movement it's just like we need we need to look a little bit deeper what what do we get from a squat that we don't get from a um get from a hip, hip thrust and vice versa and how can we pick pick movements that allow us to get the best of both worlds um and but also like in and around that debate i don't like using using names um and as i suppose I, I hate and i cringe when i see people speak badly about other people in the in- industry but there's just a, a couple of big research-based kind of people that are educators in the industry that little things like like resultants in a hip thrust and how they they, they don't understand them and how they affect like the moment they're in the hip thrust and that that's something that is 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 very common from PhDs, I, I, like, and it's just, I suppose we're just missing such a vital part. We're just missing missing everything. Like for, for example, um, don't like research around hypertrophy. I, I probably haven't read a research paper in, in terms of what like is this movement better than this movement in probably about two and a half years. And the, the reason being is because it's arbitrary. Like, it, it, it tells us absolutely nothing. It doesn't tell us about the in, individual. It doesn't tell us about the individual's mechanics and how, like, how this movement was set up and just so many things that you can't, you can't track. You, you, like, you can't track. Or, or, or biomechanics, for example, isn't tracked. Like, the distance from the hip and the... Um, 
to the moment arm isn't tracked in a squat, for example. L- little things like that, that is just like le- leaving such a big, a big gap, a big hole. But what, like, what I w- will use research for is just like molecular mechanisms and like even volume estimations and stuff as well. Give it like the, they offer lots, lots of value. But when it comes to like, should I squat versus hip thrust? I'm like, I'm not reading that. <laughs> what should we do? If if you were to, if um, I, I think when, when when we look at programming, I think there 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 is advantages of certain exercises over other exercises. I think when, when you come to something like a hip thrust versus a squat, you could you could argue the sense of of a hip thrust from from certain aspects versus the mechanics of a person doing a barbell back squat. You know, for a lot of people, depending on ankle mobility barbell back squat could be an extremely quad dominant exercise but it's about how you could then potentially perform the barbell back squat could make it more biased to the glutes but if you were to have like a programming order of preference what where would you put certain exercises in that order of preference okay um so like it really does depend what my, my two main movements are. Let's say, for example, if I'm going to squat, um, what I might do is I could use the I could use the hip thrust and I could call it like a like we could do like two sets of a sensation based um, top set and back off with the goal being just to get like nasty glute contractions before we go into our back squat. If I'm going to use something that isn't potentially as lower back loading like the back squat, let's say, for example, um, I'm going to do a split squat instead, then I might push the split squat a little bit harder. Um, or sorry, I might, excuse me, words will be nice. Now, I might push the hip thrust a little bit harder, but I would always tend to program a hip thrust before, um, before kind of like my other movement in that kind of length and the range more so um now it, it's completely individual dependent and it also really does depend on exactly what what are we getting from the hip thrust like for example a lot of people won't get a lot from a hip thrust and if we can if we can do everything that we can in our in our in what we have available and the hip thrust still isn't a fantastic movement then maybe I'll program it later. Maybe I'll program it as some pump work towards the end or something like that. So a lot more based on preference, the preference of, of feel to the clients, the preference of mechanics plays a massive role towards the client and the structure of the client plays a huge role. So would you say it, it, the order of preference then in tune is nearly in order of the preference of the client as well? Yeah, p- potentially. Um, now, like it's going to really make a difference if we split squat or back squat um, just when it comes to like fatigue across the session and low back loading as well. Um, but no, I, I think I, I would all, always, if a client doesn't have a problem hip thrusting, like personally I've found that a lot of people just don't like the hip thrust. Mm. Uh, and I get, I get that. Um, but if you enjoy hip thrusting, if you feel you get a lot from it, then I would always program it early in a session. 
Perfect. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Um, I had a feeling to answer that question. We were going to get a complex answer, um, which didn't actually didn't, give us an answer. <laughs> no, you didn't even give an answer. I think what you're, you're, I think in a roundabout way, you were saying if if it feels good, do it. If a back squat feels good to you, do it. If you feel a back squat feels better on your glutes over hip thrust, and you don't like the hip thrust, then preference of, of what you like to do. And um, do you want to go a little bit into so we'll kind of get a little bit. Uh, more in towards the mechanical end, the external moment arms. Okay, you can to hip thrust. Yeah, so this obviously this is this is extremely difficult to do without visual representation. So hopefully, a couple of people listening have uh, have attended our seminar or have are members of the muscle mentors side or something like that, so they have a decent understanding. But like a a hip thrust isn't a normal easy movement to dissect when it comes to what the hell is going on let's say let's say for example our our side lateral we have our axis we have our line of force we can find our force angle very easily um, will you just will you just very very briefly go yes. through what a line of force is and what a point of axis is yes. just just so in, ca in case someone doesn't really un just on a like extremely brief level just so that because well, I know that they're going to come up a lot more in, in conversation just to give it a brief overview okay so um, our joints every, every single joint that we have rotates around a axis so for example when we flex the elbow that is rotating around the, the, the bicep is aiding in rotation around the axis at the elbow for our side lateral, we will have a, an axis running through, through our delt, where if we bring our arm up and out to the side in, in that circle, we will have an axis running through our delt. Our line of force is, if we're using a dumbbell or a barbell, it is gra uh, like gravity is acting directly down um, fr from that dumbbell, okay, or, or the barbell. So usually you will see this as like a vector of a arrow pointing downwards. Um, and then, so I think it's, it's important that before we touch on the moment arm, we, we see a, a force angle. So the angle closest to the axis of where that vector is pointing down. Um, so let, let's say, for example, we have our, le our lever arm is our arm. Okay, so the, our arm is known as our lever arm. So let's say we draw a line between the axis and the dumbbell. So straight out, straight along my arm. And then from there, I draw my line of force down, which is gravity acting straight on that dumbbell. So I draw my arm and my line straight down there. And then you should see is, the, the, you, uh, hopefully we can picture that there will be a 90, a 90 degree force angle there. And from there, it allows us to, one, when we look at, if we look a little bit more in depth in, in time, um, that force angle is going to be able to indicate our moment arm, um, potentially pl plays a role in us finding out the efficiency of that dumbbell at creating rotation or the kind of the, the components of force that, um, that, that 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 force angle is giving us so for example is 
is that dumbbell in this angle at 90 degrees in 90 degrees that dumbbell the force angle there is going to be that dumbbell is going to be purely acting as a rotational component component so it is going to be purely rotating that arm around the axis as opposed to if you use for example like a cable and you do a side lateral with a cable um the force angle is going to be different and there is going to be different component forces there um and then next of all, it's important that we touch on the moment arm. Okay, so the moment arm is the perpendicular, perpendicular distance between the axis and the line of force. This is going to be, again, the line of force is going to be gravity from your dumbbell. Or if, if you're using a cable, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to run in line with that cable. Um, and for anybody who this just doesn't sound like anything to, um, it needs to be seen. It's just like impossible um, to understand this without seeing a practical application of it. So hopefully now that it's been mentioned that you will you, you will see it everywhere now. It's quite it's quite a hot topic on Instagram at the moment. Um, I suppose there's the potentially a lot of people running around with sound bites, but even, even still, you sh you will now. Potentially, if, if you follow uh, a good few coaches, you, you will see that moment arm, you will see that axis, and you will see that line of force. And then just kind of take it for what it is and don't let it, don't dismiss it completely because it's very real. It's, it's absolutely there, um, but it's go going to take time. It's going to take investment in your education for you to develop a proper understanding of, the, of these things. Okay, so now we need to look at this in a hip thrust, and this is, it, it's, it's quite difficult. Okay, okay. So because because when we load that barbell, it is sitting directly on top of the axis. There is no moment arm to that hip, meaning that there is no torque demand placed on that hip. There is no, there's absolutely no torque demand placed on that hip. But what we also do have is where our feet are set up and where the bench is set up. We have. We are pressing down on the bench. We, like our mass is acting as a force that's pressing down on the bench. Uh, and our feet are pressing down on the ground. From there, that bench is pressing back up at us and the ground is pressing back up at us. So the, the, the main thing and the main point I'm going to get across is just kind of like, what are these things can we influence? So... Because we now know that that barbell doesn't have a moment arm to the hip, but we have a, a we have a moment arm between the the an ankle and the hip. Okay, so we have a moment arm. Let's say that the axis is in the ankle. We then have another axis in the knee, and another axis in the hip. I, sorry, I've actually explained that a little bit wrong there. So the the line of force is going to come from the um, the line of force is going to come up from the ankle. It's either it's going to either point towards or away. You know, it's it's very very difficult to explain without kind of pictures to show things. Um, <laughs> Sorry, my <laughs> Harper just ran in there and screamed that. You, you continue on, dude. <laughs> okay, so I'm. We have the ground reaction for, force that's pressing up at us, 
And from there, we have a frictional force that's going to be acting in the opposite to which way we point our feet, okay? So, or which way we think about pointing our feet. So if our knee isn't stacked directly on top of our ankle, the frictional force will be pointing in the wrong direction, meaning that the moment arm to the knee, or sorry, the moment arm to the hip will be less. So just kind of take home points because it's so, it's so hard to explain without, I didn't realize it was going to be this hard to explain without a photo, is we need to keep our knee and our ankle stacked on top of each other. We need to think about dragging our heels up towards our bum. Um, and from there, what will that, that will do is that will increase the moment arm to the hip. Okay. Um, again, as I said, it's, it's quite difficult to explain without a fall. Well, hopefully we can get the, the overall general just, and I think what, what this, that will do, we'll just start to peep, start to kind of spiral people's train of thought to actually understand that when they are doing those movements why it's important to see those what we would call like invisible lines and potentially bring up the efficiency of their actual training so that was the i suppose general approach to the to the external now we also then have the the internal as well so when we look at then the internal moment arms what way would you would you describe them okay so with the glute max the goal of the glute max is going to be to drive its insertion to its origin when it contracts okay so we need to take we need to stop using kind of like okay the 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 glute max extends the hip um, and we need to think about what what it actually is wanting to do and what it's wanting to do is take the where it inserts and drag that bone straight to the origin, okay? So the axis that that is going to ro rotate around is not the femur, it's not going to be directly through the femur, it's going to protrude the femoral head, okay? So what is going to happen is your the orchestration that your brain does is, all it wants to do is get that muscle short. But if we, if we take a movement like a hip thrust where where we, we haven't banded the knees or anything and all we're trying to do is go through flexion and extension of the hip. We then have muscles like the, like the glute med um, and the tracholumbar fascia, which are going to play a role in stabilizing or like acting as joint managers so we can stay in this plane that we're looking to stay in, okay? So for example, like, topic for another day but we have no such thing as we have no such thing as isolation movements so everything that crosses that hip is is going to play a role in kind of steering it, it, steering that glute contraction and steering the orchestration of us producing both hips hip extension and hip flexion um so potentially what else we could look at is on the opposite side of the glute max. So being like the, the, um, like the psoas, I suppose, is going to play a role in um, hip flexion. 
So if we can potentially look at firing up like the Iliopsorus by doing um, maybe like a, a, any form of hip flexor, not stretch, but contraction, um, or potentially even the rec fam. It, like if we do them as like priming work, um, so us firing up the hip flexors before training, training hip extension through the through our hip thrust, it may be a good idea. Uh, is poten like potentially a good idea. Um, again, very difficult. I would love to have a skeleton in my hands, um, but I'm sure w when we when, when we get up up and running with seminars again, it will, will be something that we can go into. And we can actually explain and make sense <laughs> because I know myself, like if I was, if I was listening to this, um, it's very, very hard when you don't have that, that kind of thing to look at in front of you. But take home points and like everything that we say, try to address yourself, take notes and actually go and go and look like already we've, you ran through what an external moment arm is. You ran through what a line of force is. You ran through what that point of access is. Go and, and look and learn. You've spoken a lot there about the glute max, the glute mead, psoas, like go, look, learn. That's the point of a podcast to educate, to, to bring up. And this is, these are just like overall topics that we speak about that you can just dive into yourself. And even, even on that note as well, um, I have heaps of I've I've heaps of of um, educational stuff done up on this already, and um, for me, just bringing clients through it when just giving a little bit more rationale. So, if you would like me to run through this in more detail, I have videos already pre-recorded that I'll shoot onto you. So, if you just get in, get in contact with me with me through Instagram or something, I can shoot them on. Um, that would that would probably be the the best thing to do going on from here. Okay, so. Any, anything else you want to touch on then on the, those internal moment arms? Does, I, I have, actually have a question. Does the knee and anything around the knee start to, start to act in to that internal moment arm? Like, does anything through the quad or the hamstring play, play a role? Yeah, okay. So the, um, the hamstrings, for example, the, the moment arm is going to, in the hip thrust is going to be, especially in that short position, there is going to be zero moment arm. To the hamstring mm. um so it's not going to play a it's not going to play a good role but but what so uh, that's actually a nice point that i i should have brought up so when we stack the knee on top of the ankle in our hip trust we and then we drag the heels towards our bum what is going to tend to happen is we get some sent sensation in our hamstrings as if they're a contraction um so that is actually something that we should be searching for because like sensation isn't going to equal like more like efficient training basically um i had a nice little um a nice little thing to say there but i, I sensation doesn't e equal tension that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> so just because we feel the hamstrings <laughs> just because we feel the hamstrings contracting doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that they're we're, we're getting a good stimulus to them um, yes, they're going to they're going to have a, a, a little bit um, on them, but not as much as the as the glutes will. And as for the quads, that is going to be primarily down to um, look looking at the moment arm from the resulting resultant of forces. 
from the ground reaction of force and friction. Um, and then like once we once we find them, that's basically like that, that's all we can do to a certain extent. Except um we just just the, the next thing we can do is once we have that knee stacked on top of the ankle, making sure that we're limiting our range of motion on these. Um so the hip thrust range of motion shouldn't be okay, I'm going to touch this barbell off the ground. I'm not I'm gonna let my the weight hit down before I go into my next rep. It's like I'm going to drop my hips down slowly until I see my knee start to move back up towards my body. When my knee starts to move back up towards my body, that is my range of motion where I'm starting to increase the moment I am to the knee. That's not what we want. So we don't do any extra. Um, we, we, we don't do any extra range of motion there. See, so see, just, for just, example, what, while you, just while you said that, you see certain hip thrust stations like that booty builder station where your feet are massively um, dorsiflexed. So does that mean then that as yeah. they're dorsiflexed, the knees are start, yeah. the knees are automatically coming back towards the body? Like your, your feet are, are yeah. massively pressed up, so the knees are automatically coming back in towards you. So the, the knee is automatically coming back in towards you. Does that then change that internal moment arm? Yes. So with the way that they're set up, most of them being, yes, but very poorly designed. But just at the way that foot pad is, it isn't like directly on the ground. You get me? It's not, mm. it's not flat. It lies at an angle. And so when, when we lie down at the angle, um, it's, go, it's going to change. It, it's going to change things. Even though your, your knee isn't stacked over your ankle anymore, you're not, you're, your intention isn't going to be as much to drive your toes forward. Um, now, it, it depends. It depends. It depends on like I know this specific on that um, that booty builder machine. I think it's black and orange. Yeah. No. No. I don't. I don't, I don't believe so. But in in saying that, like we have have to go by how we feel. Mm. Like I I I know if I if I jump in that machine um and I'm getting some quad from them, I'm, I'm going to know, mm. know more so that way than than. Or just looking at the machine, but yeah, no, looking looking at some of their machines, yeah, you, you can see that the mom down to the to the knee is going to be like maybe the same as the hip, so it's going to be like a 50 50 challenge, but we don't really want the 50 50 challenge. No. That's a, another thing I was going to say because, and this is something that I have gotten a lot of feedback off my clients is because the feet are at that angle, as you press up, as you bring your hips into extension, there's an awful lot of you being pressed away from the machine. So you, the way your shoulders are on the pad, essentially your shoulders are being pressed back. So there's nearly a struggle of trying to keep your shoulder in line all just because your, your feet are at that high position because as you push into that hip extension, you're essentially pushing yourself back out of the natural line of force. Yeah, um, and I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've seen as well, the way, the way that some of them are loaded, mm. um, with that big lever arm, it means that like just that weight is just like technically or te technically technically <laughs> it, it, it's not so technically that weight is being launched mm. and just caught up at the top um just be by the length length of that lever arm. Mm. yeah it's definitely an interesting one to to look at um and and i think Again, I think the, the most important thing about this is just trying to visualize, like exactly what we said there, trying to visualize foot on the floor. And like Derma said, as the knee starts to come back towards you, you know that you're starting to then dictate. So when you're, when you're talking about range of motion, would you 
would you try to to have that? And this is something that I want I wanted to ask you about is the two two different types of range of motion that we see on a hip thrust. Range of motion number one, when you're on the bench, and like you said, would you stop range of motion then as the knees start to come back to you? Is that your okay? That now is the start of a new rep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And ex- exercise set number two, when they are lying on the floor. So they are lying back on the floor, hips on the floor, yeah. feet on the floor. Can you, can you just dive yeah. a little bit into that? Yeah. Okay. So this is a personally not a movement that I program very, very often. Um, yeah. It, it, not a movement that I program very often. And I suppose like it, it's next to impossible in that situation to stack the knee on top of the ankle. Um, so, and, and the fact that just the range of motion is quite small, but in saying that, like if, if equipment is limited and they, f- they feel okay, then yeah, um, they could, they could be okay. What, what, um, a change, no, what, a, what a change then again, the moment arms, I, I would imagine doing that. You are very, very in line to press yourself back again. Like you're, you're always going to be trying to push. Like I'd imagine you're always pushing yourself in that backwards direction because if your feet are planted in that angle, and you're lying flat on the floor, the second you hip thrust up, you're almost going to hip thrust up and then hip thrust back. So would they be like that? Again, tug of war effect from the force being produced from the shoulders to maybe stay in that one line, the force being produced by the feet and then the actual line of force. Would there be a bit of a... Yes. So there, there may be like potentially a, a shearing force mm. um, along the ground, but I, I, don't, I don't believe... It would play too much of a role. Like, um, no, I, I don't. I don't think. Don't think it would be too much to worry about. Okay. Now, I want to ask because we always see that that near differential. You know, in my mind, whenever I get asked, "Can I just hip thrust on the floor?" Always, my response is, "Well, you're just massively restricting the range." But then, when you just start to talk a little bit more, then about those internal almond arms, it makes a lot more sense. I would imagine to go through the full setup, shoulders on the bench, feet on the floor, yeah, yeah. knees over the knees above the ankle. And then, like you said, just stop your range as the knee starts to come back towards you. That would, in essence, be the most optimal. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Okay. Where, where, where do you think bands play a role in this one? So one of the most common things we see on, on a hip thrust is, is bands being wrapped around the knee. Okay, so... With, with the band, what we get from it is the like we are conscious to drive our knees out. Um, and when so we drive the knees out, we like externally rotate, and what that is doing is if basically it changes changes how the axis runs and then it does again it changes where how the axis runs and it does change kind of the fibers that are going to be trained um so is this something that we should do is this something that we should look for well i'll just kind of lay things out um so when we externally rotate that glute is getting close to its fully short position um or, or sorry, it's not going, it's not getting close to its full short. It's it's getting shorter. Um, so as we go through the hip, the full hip thrust, as we get up into that shortened range, do do we necessarily want um to be that weak up there? Uh, 
just just due to length and tension relationships do we want to be that that weak up there um so potentially not but in saying that what i might do is uh, we, we could use this as like how in my, how in my program program that for example is i could do set of 15 with the band on keep that fatigue potentially keep that fatigue keep that fantastic glute sensation that we've got because the glute has been so short take like maybe 40 seconds rest so we, we, we keep the fatigue we keep the sensation in the glute and then we go into our set at the same weight where now that weight weight is now very fatiguing but we pull that band off we're in a better position to in a, in a better position to move that way from a to b we're a little bit, little bit stronger our, our glutes aren't as shortened um and we can potentially prolong the set with without with, with giving us newfound strength basically yeah so you you would more favor from a potential strength perspective no band activation yes. with band um maybe um i don't don't think it, it's too big of a deal um i suppose people like it could, could could you be stronger without a band oh yeah 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 so so because of the position that it mm. so when it rotates the femur that glute gets short um and the shorter that glute gets the weaker the weaker it's going to get especially mm. close to that fully hip extended position do you think then potentially that that could be a reason as to why when you see so many videos of a hip trust and they have great range to bottom, but always very difficult to hit that fully extended position of the hip that the, a band could be playing a role in that? Like when you, yeah. you see videos online or assess client feedback, if they took the band away, they'd have a much greater chance of hitting fuller hip extension. Yeah. Um, so that along with there isn't a multitude of factors mm-hmm. that goes in. So like... Your strength profile there—it's you're potentially going to be weakest weakest at the top. Um, Fatigue—you're always going to fatigue quicker in that shortened position. So towards the end of the set, that that short range ends up giving giving in completely. Um, Hence, why I would like if if I was going to use them, I would only I would only ever use them if I was going to do sets normally. I I think I think it's a good plan to if you're going to use them, do use them to warm up. Um, but like, I don't really, I, w- I wouldn't ask a client to go out and buy one. Um, if they use them already and they like the idea of, so I suppose like one, one of the big things is kind of like belief as well. It's like, if somebody believes that they're got, they get more from their glutes doing this, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say no, mm. I, I'm not going to say no, it's useless. I'm going to say, okay, cool. Throw it, throw it in. Um, and if, if it gives or, or maybe another thing is kind of like ha- having systems in place when I when I do my priming work I'm now ready to train and um, so yeah no like if, if you want um, but if you don't want the dog water I think like, <laughs> at times I think Dermot is just trying to not say an exact so maybe I'll just say the exact we think it's to be stronger don't use potential activation to, to use <laughs> I think that may be you know, may- because 
I suppose I would defend the as um, there's just, just no definitive answer. Um, I, I can potentially argue before and against both. I think the, the argument, the argument I, I would nearly have on that is just just from 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 seeing so so many previous clients' videos, and when you see a lot of the hip trust being performed, like you just nearly put two and two together when you when a lot of them fail to hip that hip extension. I know you said it as well. A lot of the time it is fatigue, but then like you just said you're you're already making the glute a weaker position by by having that external rotation and then as well like like you said earlier on is sensation causing is sensation is a good thing or a bad thing it, you could nearly argue in that sense that just because they feel some activation but is that causing like a correct stimulus but could the stimulus be better potentially by not already shorten the glute what what would that do then to potentially at the knee so i would imagine that because the knees are causing that force against the band, what what way would that work then with potential line of force at the, at the knee? There's, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a pretty strong line of force at the knee as well. Um. So, what 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 do you mean? Like, so because, because the knee, going the knee to change in, things. Yeah, like because obviously the, the knees are now knees and, and feet, I'd imagine, are now coming into play to actually cause the band to stay pressed out. Like obviously the yeah. knees and hips are. Would, would that nearly affect the quad? Would that affect the calf? Would that affect anything that's situated around the knee? So because of the way the the knees are, there is one degree of freedom at them. So there is no kind of like if we change something in relation to the knee, the knee joint itself and the muscular that it crosses, it isn't going to change. Mm. Okay. Um, so, oh, no, it, just a, Did I lose you? Yeah, we're back on now. Okay, I, can... I just went run for another room. <laughs> I can, <laughs> I can, ch I can chop it out. Cool. All right, we kick back in. Um, are you, you said to be good to go. Yeah. Right. So we'll come back in now. Uh, do you think then potential anterior, posterior? tilt the pelvis and, and that obviously really needs to be brought into the into the conversation in both top and bottom range of the hip trust. I think one of the one of the big I suppose mis, misled information points has to be about that top position of the hip trust. One thing people always you always say is roll your pelvis towards you or try to shorten the position of your midsection or the coaching cue I've I've heard is put your hips towards your rib cage. Like that level of like anterior where, where does your input lie on where the pelvis should be in that top and bottom position okay so like it, it's, it's such a difficult thing to it's, it's such a difficult thing to touch on and um, because like 
we just ha have to look look so in depth. Um, so for example, because of the muscle bulk of the glute, it it potentially acts as a anatomical pulley for itself. So there has there, the, the glutes have a big moment arm. And if if we change the position of that hip into posterior pelvic tilt, like how much now this is speculative and um, because I would have to have a skeleton in front of me for me to um, make, make sense of it. So if we were to put that hip into complete posterior pelvic tilt, how much of a drop off in that in the glutes ability to contract have we diminished by getting up into that such such a weak position? Again, probably a fantastic sensation, potentially not a lot of tension. Like so. That is kind of my thought process there, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily go through anterior posterior pelvic tilt whilst performing them. So the especially in that in that bottom range, then as well when you see like lower part of the spine nearly starting to come into that extensive position, what do you think then the position of 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 that needs to be? Would you say? complete neutral position of the spine right the way through it's probably a yeah. better way to for people to get a visualization of that yeah i i believe so yeah um does does that does the anterior or posterior or like if you're thinking of that position of your spine extensive or flexed would that change the position of the glutes top yes so like it, it's got it is going to allow you for you to get that glute shorter okay um so so maybe here's what we could do maybe we could we could put our knee our knee band on and we could go through anterior and posterior pelvic tilt pre-workout or as we warm up for our hip thrust mm. with 20 kilo or like 40 kilo on the barbell um, and then get ready for our meat and potato movement where we want to move load. Uh, we have sensation in our glutes. We know what these feel like. Let's let's move with control from A to B. Mm. Makes sense. And in, in, the, in, in, in the bottom position of, of that hip thrust, do you think for a lot of people, potentially it may be passive that they're going into that posterior tilt at times? Yeah. Um, so it's not us running out of range of motion per se. Um, and it like it's it, it's not going to be the same as like um in in a squat, for example. But yeah, no, it, 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 it can be, it could be. Okay. Um, now, whether it's necessarily a good thing or bad thing, there is no answer because it really does, really does depend on what, what exactly happens with kind of the facet, the facets of the spine. Um, again, not, not something that we can, we can say. Um, and again, not even something that we can say if we were to x-ray these things either. Mm. I just thought it might be interesting to look into that. Maybe a passive and active, you know, what where, where could the barbell potentially put us and where should should we be nearly in, in full control? And just when you when you were speaking about the that posterior tilt, and then we talk about that extensive position of the spine, 
And then when we obviously in the flex position, that would be very active range, I'd imagine, because we are potentially bringing the hips into that and pelvis into that anterior. But I thought in the, in the bottom range, could that be a near passive position that that weight is forcing the hips into the, the posterior tilt? Yeah. Um, so if let's, let's say, for example, when we get up into that posterior pelvic tilt, that is technically what we see at the bottom of our squat. So as we squat then we won't run out of range of motion in the squat and, and the hips posteriorly tilt under. Um, and that would be us out of our active, active range. And that, that is kind of my, my, my reasoning behind, um, that is, that is my reasoning. One of my reasonings behind the hip thrust as well is like, I don't want to be going through this anterior posterior pelvic tilt. Um, good, bad, I don't know. Hmm. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I have virtually no idea on that and yeah. that sort of things. But, but that, that is my reason for not doing it. Hmm. Um, if I had more of an opinion on it, maybe I would be more open to it. One one thing is that I, I wanted I want to ask when we when we we're talking about this, one um, I suppose it's not I wouldn't call it a strength exercise, but just something as you were talking about the knees, I do want to mention this: the kneeling hip thrust. So when you kneel down, and you essentially have a band, say you you set up two bands across a rack, and you kneel and you march out, and essentially you come into that hip thrust motion, but you're hip thrusting against the band. But obviously, the degree that the knee is in, then what what way do you think in your mind that that's going to play in regards to those internal moment arms? I, I meant to ask you this earlier on; it just completely went down my head. Okay, so um, I, I'm I'm going to tr- try and think of what you mean. Do you mean when let, let's say, for example, could I potentially have seen somebody do it in? It is it's like standing up, kneeling is down. That, so your knees kneeling, are on the kneeling down, knees are on the floor, feet are on the floor band is against the hips but the band is pulling you back so as you hip thrust up the band is increasing in tension okay so we but have your, your knee is like your knee will be obviously fully fully flexed on the floor that's what i want to ask in in, in regards to that internal moment arm okay would, would so that change this is like doing a normal standard barbell potentially like a normal standard barbell audio with the band around your hips there is no there is no moment arm to the hip. So, for example, in that barbell ordeal, the challenge is to your tibialis. Um, but if you were to do it on your knee um, and you had some sort of restraint of a bench or a person behind you where you had, like with the, the bench and the hip thrust where you push it back into, like if, if you had some something there, potentially but again i i personally wouldn't i just barbell hip thrust mm-hmm. instead uh, but like the whole band, hip banded or the, the the moment arm doesn't change the, the challenge is to the to be honest anterior okay i just thought it, it may have changed something around the, the knee being so flexed and the knee have not never changes to the position of the foot, and um, it's just it's just something that I, I when you were talking about the internal moment arms earlier on, I said oh, I better ask about that specific exercise because it's something that I've, I've seen a lot of, um, is that kneeling hip thrust where the band is at the hip, and um, but obviously you're offering nothing really then in the bottom in the in the bottom position you know in that lengthening position just just very very little tension. It's only really when you kick into that top position then. 
so, so even even in that top position with that band, there is still no moment arm to the hip. Hmm. So th- there's no torque demand on the hip. Um, there's no nothing for the glute to fight against, unless okay. the glute is fighting against the barbell that's on your back, hmm. which is prop like if you're on your knees and the barbell's on your back, which is no, j- j- just stay away. Normal hip thrust is. Oh yeah, it's it's too it's too it's too pretty for Instagram. No, it makes it makes a lot of sense, dude. It makes a lot of sense. So I think we covered a lot inside that. Was there anything else you, you want to touch on, or were they all the the kind of topic points that we could nearly run through? I'm sure when I listen back to it, I'll be like, "Fuck's sake, I explained that horribly." Is there anything? Is there anything you wanted to, to touch on in regards to? Um, I know we touched on exercise order and um, like preference of how we should train this. Like, do you think hip thrust should be preference as your meat and potatoes like go, go ham or do you think it should be prioritized as, as a secondary okay um so how i would how i would do it is i would always have a first i don't believe that it's, it's massively fatiguing i don't believe it's too fatiguing maybe if you want to have some abductor in first fantastic uh, as long as you have access to an abductor machine um what, what, how I program it is I will program it once once, and it will be like sensation based so it will be the goal being just how many nasty glute contractions can, can I get out, out of this prior to maybe a squat but then on my day two if I'm programming like a split squat for example um, then I will use it as like a meat and potato movement that let's move load from A to B um, so for example on, on the sensation based um, on the sensation based day I wouldn't necessarily be looking to like progress in weight as much as I would be in the other day. Okay. Do you another another question as 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 we're wrapping through this? It's going through my mind. As we have trust, even if we are set up on the bench and and range of motion allows us to do so, should we stop the the should we stop the barbell on the floor? Like should we stop the plates on the floor and have a dead stop, or do you think stopping at your normal? Like if you're if you're setting this up, and if you were going to try to set this up, should you set it up so that the the plates stop on the floor, or should you set it up so that the plates stay in, in motion in a sense? Okay, so as if we can set it up in a way that once the knee is still stacked on top of the ankle, then it's preference. Okay, would would it make a difference to the movement if if you if you dead stopped? So like. No, not anything that we wouldn't get from a dead stop anyway. Like, um, no, what I would personally do is if I was going to do that is just like kind of like change them out because it's a hip thrust will be such a standard movement and they can get so boring. So maybe we go from a dead stop into a a normal back into a dead stop or something like that, maybe. Mm, Okay, no, spot on, absolutely perfect. Anything else you want to say? Touch on, I think we've covered. Um, no, I think I'll, I'll just run back through the the kind of like all, all of the, the forces that we yeah. were running through in the hip thrust. Cause just because I, I was rushed. Um, yeah, you go. So with the, the barbell sitting on, on your hip, that barbell is acting directly down on the axis of your hip. Um, so there's going to be no, no, no moment down from that barbell to your hip. So that weight that weight on the barbell essentially becomes part of your body. 
And then from there, where we are getting our mom downs, where we are deciding whether we're getting hip or where, whether we're getting hip or knee from these, so whether we're getting glute or quad from these, is what happens with the forces that are being applied at the feet. Now, there is also a moment arm to kind of the, the spine or the kind of the, like the midsection for stability from the bench. Not that we need to worry about that at all. Uh, it's going to stay consistent anyway. So what we do is we have to find the ground reaction of force between my foot pressing down on the ground and that ground pressing back up at me. The, the ground pressing back up at me will have a vector, which will be just a little arrow that you'll see. Um, I'm sure you're going to see people post about these things already. Then we're going to have our intent, which is what I'm thinking. So if I'm thinking about driving my heels towards my bum, my intent is a arrow driving from my foot up towards my bum. And then directly opposing that arrow, arrow so on the opposite side of that arrow is our friction. Um, so then what we can do from there is we can find the summation or our resultant. And from there we can draw our resultant up and find perpendicular distance from both resultants for it to, or both knee and hip to find them moment arms. And that's that's a little explained a little bit better. Um and for anybody who gets it will understand that a little bit more now. <laughs> and I hope a lot of people do get it. <laughs> I think you know this this podcast especially is going to be a nice little setup for uh, the, the camps that we have and i think if we can just get a, a good couple of these done that cover a lot of the i wouldn't call it basic but the, the need to know us behind mechanics but by the time we actually get into the, the camps then coming up and um, early next year you'll have a bit more of, of an insight into yeah um so like we need these words we need this vocab but like they mean nothing until we can apply them. They mean nothing until we can see them. And we, we see moment arms like just everywhere. Like when you, it's like, it's easy to see them in the gym. Like where, where do you see them in your house? Mm. <laughs> or like little things <laughs> like, I don't know, inertia when you start to learn about mechanics and you see inertia everywhere. You see it when you're shaking a bottle of ketchup and stuff like that. And it's just, because it's just like, if that is what we want to learn about, and if we can realize how important it is for us understanding these things, um, I, don't, I don't even know what my end point yeah, is. I, I don't know where you're <laughs> going. <laughs> right, dude. I think we'll, we'll wrap up there. So that was a, a good insight in, into the hip thrust. I think we covered a lot um, about the mechanics, about uh, training approach. And I think, you know, it, it was a, a good insight. I think something that I think a lot of people needed to, needed to know and needed to hear and a nice little introduction to the, the new the new senior coach there will be a lot more of these uh a lot more of these um, podcasts coming up and and, and Dermot is going to take over a lot of the mechanical end of training and is going to cover a lot of um episodes on his own about this and you know potentially get on some some pretty good guests to have those conversations with him and um, i think that's a will be a fantastic um little insight into what's to come yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Really, really, um, um, yeah, I, I, as I said, <laughs> really looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude, I'll, I'll let you go. Thanks very much for coming on, buddy. Speak to you soon.
Thank, thank you so much for having me. Bye, bye, bye.